You are listening to Changing Careers, a podcast about how MBA careers are changing and how MBAs change their careers. I'm Conrad Chua. Today's guest is Dr. Josh Oppenheimer, co-founder and CEO of Transformative AI. It's a medical software company that's seeking to transform healthcare through deep learning. Josh is also a practicing emergency medicine physician. We'll learn more about his company and how he manages to squeeze just so much from every day. Hi, Josh. Hi, Conrad. It's so good to be with you today. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Josh, could you first tell us more about transformative AI? Absolutely. So as you mentioned, we're a medical software company that's focused on machine learning and the opportunities that machine learning brings to transform healthcare. And we started out in late 2016. My two co-founders all connected uh, through Cambridge, actually. So I had been at Cambridge for my MBA. One of my co-founders, Mark Serendi, was a particle physicist at Cambridge who uh, had been doing research at CERN's Large Hadron Collider, measuring the W boson and the Higgs boson. And he was interested in taking those deep learning techniques and applying them to an area like healthcare where there were uh, more human level uh, impacts. And then our third co-founder is Mark Ray, who at the time was a professor of computer science at Cambridge. And he had a lot of expertise in uh, natural language processing and had been working on the team at SwiftKey previously that developed a predictive typing app. And the three of us were all very excited about the connection between machine learning and healthcare and the opportunities to transform the clinical environment. From my perspective, as a person who uh, is, was at the time in the process of uh, finishing my training to become an emergency medicine physician, I knew that there were all types of situations where you have a patient who has an event where there are things you can do to try to help that patient in the moment. But what you know in the back of your head is that if you could have acted minutes or hours earlier, you would have had a much bigger impact on helping that patient. And and we felt that fundamentally there was a huge opportunity with machine learning to try to create those early warnings so that you could have better preventive care. Um, The first project that we worked on was predicting sudden cardiac arrest based on patients' cardiac monitoring data. And we were able to build an algorithm that predicts sudden cardiac arrest with enough accuracy uh, that we've been able to uh, raise further funding to be able to build that algorithm into software. And we're now in the process of getting ready to test that software uh, with partner hospitals. And so it's a a very exciting opportunity for us to be able to take this core idea and try to get it to hospitals and get it to uh, the patients and doctors who can use it to improve the quality of care. So Josh, when you talk about the software and working with hospitals, do you have like a physical sort of product that you hook up to patients or is it just very much sort of the back-end data analysis? Yeah. So the technology that we are complementing is cardiac monitoring. And if you go into any hospital around the world, the patients where they're concerned about the, them developing a cardiac event are going to have continuous cardiac monitoring where they have a few stickers attached to their chest with some wires going off of that and attached to a monitor where you can see the patient's cardiac data. 
the, the sort of core insight that we're working off of is that the exact physical infrastructure that is generating that data stops at the moment where it could be most useful. So there is not sophisticated software that's analyzing that data to try to identify exactly what's going on with the patient and what the patient's trajectory is. What we want to do is, is take the existing technology infrastructure, but just improve the software so that we're now running that predictive analysis in the background. And we are going to be fully integrated with those devices so that from an end user's perspective, they're working with familiar machines. They're just getting better insights out of them. For the purposes of our collaborations with hospitals, we are initially going to be showing the results of our alarms on a separate screen so that it's easier for us on the backside to be able to uh, integrate and uh, show our alarms to uh, nurses and doctors. Uh, but the long-term plan is for us to have a fully integrated process where the results themselves would show up on the same screen as the monitors that are currently in hospitals. So does that mean that you've got to work with hospitals, but also the manufacturers of these uh, cardiac monitoring devices? That's exactly right. We are planning to license our software to the patient monitoring companies so that they can in turn use those with their devices. And the primary benefit of that is from their perspective of the nurses and doctors that they have a simpler workflow. But the other large benefit of that from us as a company perspective is it simplifies our go-to-market plan in terms of uh, how we're actually going to sell to hospitals. As a startup, it's very difficult to walk in the door of a hospital and convince them that they should start working with you, a, a brand new company that doesn't have a strong track record. And it's also particularly difficult to scale and try to think about how you can go to hospitals around the world and convince them to purchase your product. But if we partner with large medical device companies that already have strong relationships with the hospitals around the world, it makes the ability for us to get in the door a lot smoother. Was that an insight that you started off with or was that something that you, know, you, you developed over time? Yeah, that's absolutely one of those pivots that uh, you hear about so often with startup companies. So initially, we had the idea that we were going to build a standalone device that would be able to plug into the monitors, but then function separately. And we pivoted away from that for sort of the two reasons that I mentioned. One is that we kept hearing from our users that in their vision of how they wanted to use our technology, they wanted all of the alerts to be integrated and only to have a, a single screen, a single place to look for information. And the second piece we kept hearing was when we were talking to potential investors, there was a lot of hesitancy about how we were going to go to market. Even if we had a phenomenal product, there's a huge challenge in executing sales and being able to tell investors that you've not only come up with a brilliant product that has great product market fit, but also you have a really defensible plan for how you're going to execute sales strategy and ensure an acceptable cost of sales is a, a huge piece of putting together a compelling business plan. So Josh, what were some of those, let's say, barriers to adoption that, that you faced, you know, when you started talking to hospitals or to the medical equipment people, other than the fact that, yeah, 
you're you're small. We've never heard of you. Uh, what were there any sort of other barriers you had to get get over? Sure, I think that hospitals and health systems are, you know, incredibly challenging to operate in as an entrepreneur because there are so many stakeholders and. If you don't meet the needs and desires of every single stakeholder, you don't have a future. So, you know, you hear in the news every once in a while about uh, a company that has worked with the NHS and is using data in a way where they didn't have all of the uh, correct uh, protocols in place to ensure patient consent. Or you hear about uh, a company that has a, a data breach. Uh, everything relating to data privacy has to be. Uh, completely squared away up front to make sure that there are not going to be uh, any breaches of patient trust or uh, any any issues that arise. And there's also a large regulatory component. Um, and from the privacy side to the data security side to other lawyers to the uh, ethics panels that need to sign off on uh, collaborations, uh, there's a, a wide range of back-end administrative people who are looking out for risk for the hospital and who aren't as focused on the upside. And then in addition, there are a large number of people who are integral to having an effective collaboration, but are uh, primarily logistical in terms of how we interact with them. So when we are uh, working closely with a hospital to to gather data and refine our algorithm, there are people who work within their IT departments who we need to work closely with in order to figure out how we're going to capture and store that data. Um, and then there are the the clinical folks who uh, both see the upside and are very excited about helping to develop and to, to test new technologies but are also burdened by everything else they have going on, especially in the area of COVID when all clinical personnel are, are sort of pushed to the brink. Uh, there are just a ton of stakeholders who all have enough challenges without trying to introduce new external collaborations. So, you know, healthcare is a field that a lot of people are excited to enter as an entrepreneur because of the potential to have a huge impact on, on people in a way that's very meaningful. And it, it's certainly the only area of entrepreneurship that I personally have any interest in as it's, it's part of my broader mission to improve uh, the, the outcomes for, for my own patients and patients around the world. But it's also a very challenging area given the wide number of stakeholders and the wide complexities of, of meeting all of their various concerns and also just trying to execute in, a, in an era when Healthcare is under so much strain. Josh, there's just so much I wanted to to talk to you about from from that last answer. Like, how are you uh, coping? Obviously, in this during this pandemic, etc. But I just wanted to maybe ask you. You know, transformative AI has been around for four years now. How have you built up the team? Because you you mentioned you had the you know yourself, two other people that you met in Cambridge. But now that team has grown. What were some of the, um, how did that team evolve over time? Yeah. So we've, we're currently uh, a team of eight people. And we have gradually grown from our initial three to eight over the last four years. 
uh, as we have hired, um, we have one thought about what are our specific needs as a company and how are we going to make sure we hit our core milestones and how are we going to mitigate uh, risks that we feel like our current team is is insufficiently capable of managing. Um, but then there's the sort of separate question of who you're going to hire and the the process of gathering uh, good applications from from top talent and then evaluating those people and trying to get a sense of both their capabilities and fit um, is is certainly a huge challenge and a huge opportunity for any startup. And it's probably the most important thing I do as CEO is assembling the team around us. Um, and it's it's an area where I still have a lot to learn, uh, but I've I've learned a lot over the first few years. And I think we've been very fortunate that every person we've brought on to our company has been an excellent contributor. And uh, you know, one thing that I think is actually unusual about our company is that all of our initial hires are still on the team, and uh, we've been gradually growing without having a large level of turnover, which I think is actually quite unusual among startups where it's pretty common to have employees who are only on a team for six, nine months, and then they move on to the next startup. So putting together a team of people where we're all committed to the mission, we all are committed to working well with each other, and we're all having fun has been one of the biggest pleasures of the company. I want to ask you, Josh, what's one lesson you learned about hiring? I think that the, the biggest lesson has been that you have to be intentional about what you're looking for, uh, because if you're not, then you're going to default into situations that uh, you might not ultimately be happy with. So, you know, one example that I'll I'll give is that the the most recent person who joined our team is our non-executive director on our board. And uh, the, the board member is Dr. Ora Peskowitz, who is a phenomenal uh, healthcare visionary. She has been the CEO of the University of Michigan Health System. She's been the CEO of uh, a pediatric hospital. She has worked as a senior vice president at Eli Lilly. She has been involved in other startups. And she's currently the president of a university in the U.S., Oakland University in Michigan. And she's someone who we were really thrilled to be able to recruit to the team and excited that she's joined. And she's been a huge contributor since joining. But it's also the case that when you start looking into who are the types of people who might join your board um, and who are the other people who uh, companies have brought on, that uh, I'd say probably 90%, if not more people who are involved in health tech startup boards are men. And uh, we had realized that we had four members of our board who were men. And that one thing that was a, a huge plus for us would be if the fifth board member were a woman, so we would have a little bit better diversity of, of thought and, and composition on the board. And so uh, while it was in, in absolutely uh, clear terms, this was not an affirmative action hire or as brilliant and, and probably as compelling or more compelling than any 
men we could have uh, recruited to join the board. But it's, it is the case that we were intentional at the front end that if we could diversify our, our board, that would be uh, a, an advantage for the company. But that's not something that would have happened on its own. It's something that uh, happened in part because we were intentional about that from the beginning. Yeah, that's a great insight, Josh. Um, I wanted to ask you, how are you balancing your time between leading a company while also still practicing medicine? It's a challenge. <laughs> One thing that makes it a bit easier is that I did uh, take a clinical job where I'm only working about one to two shifts a week in the hospital. In emergency medicine, it would be standard to work four shifts a week as a full-time position. So just having fewer shifts is the, the biggest piece that allows me to make this work. But it's nonetheless a challenge to have a very full-time job as a startup CEO and also fit in one to two shifts a week in the hospital. And I think that the biggest reason I'm able to make it work is that the two jobs complement each other very nicely in terms of uh, my own uh, sort of thought process and, and, and psychology. So when I'm working on the business, I'm able to get excited about the creative opportunities we have to, to think big about uh, potential game-changing technologies in healthcare that were, are very exciting, but very well may never come to fruition. Um, and when I'm working in the hospital, I'm focusing on a, a much smaller scale, the actual person in front of me and how I can help them in that moment uh, in, in whatever way I can. And uh, I'm no longer thinking abstract thoughts. I'm, I'm thinking very concretely about the person who I'm, I'm with in that moment. And I think that when I am in the hospital, I'm able to uh, satisfy my, my need to be helping someone concretely. And then when I'm in startup mode, I'm able to satisfy my need to be able to think big about how we can change the world for the better. And I think that if I was only doing one or the other, there's a part of me that would grow less satisfied and a little bit frustrated by the limitations of, of one or the other approach. So having the two allows me to maintain that balance that allows me to be incredibly satisfied with my uh, overall professional portfolio. And I think that having that extremely favorable feeling about my, my work balance allows me to maintain my, my focus and uh, be effective uh, at both of the jobs that I'm working. So Josh, um, where do you hope transformative AI goes from here? There are so many opportunities to change healthcare using machine learning. And what we would love to do is start by bringing our sudden cardiac arrest prediction technology to hospitals around the world, and then systematically uh, go about solving other healthcare problems using machine learning. We could take the same technology and move it to patients who are outside the hospital. There are a number of other conditions that are very amenable to a similar approach where we would take data from machines that are already collecting patient data but are not being analyzed and use machine learning to identify uh, predictions of when patients are going to have other major events like seizures or strokes. And 
I think that there's so much opportunity for us to be able to scale into other predictive technologies that the the possibilities are really endless for us. So Josh, I wanted to move away from transformative AI a bit and ask you a bit about your own journey. Um, you obviously started off wanting to be a medical professional, but have you always had this little voice in the back of your head saying you want to be an entrepreneur? So I've got Cambridge to thank for that. I went to Cambridge between my third and fourth year of medical school. And I did that because I did know that I wanted to have a career where I combined uh, clinical medicine with thinking about the larger health system. But at the time I went to Cambridge, all of the, the mentors I'd worked with who had taken that type of dual role had done so through either healthcare policy or through healthcare administration. And so I was really thinking that I would balance my clinical role with uh, work in one of those two areas. But it was while I was at Cambridge that I met a bunch of entrepreneurs who were doing really exciting things. And the, the fundamental piece that excited me was that you could think big thoughts and then try to implement those over the course of months to years rather than years to decades. And that type of slightly faster timescale really aligned with my own personality and uh, enthusiasm to try to to move quickly. And so uh, I became quite convinced during the MBA that if I could combine clinical medicine with entrepreneurial pursuits, that I would really have a, a balance that I was excited about. Did you come to realize that you know you'd had to change the way you work or think now that you're an entrepreneur, uh, as compared to the kind of training that you've had in medicine, or did the two complement each other? So, I think that they actually complement each other very nicely, in that my core competency as an emergency medicine physician is managing uncertainty. With every single patient that I'm evaluating in the emergency department, I'm just getting a snapshot in time in terms of clinical data, a conversation with a patient, a physical exam. And there are a lot of situations where I need to act before I've made a formal diagnosis based on a formal test. And I need to anticipate what's going to happen to the patient, what could arise and and start treating a patient while I'm simultaneously coming up with a, a more definitive diagnosis. And that iterative process of trying to identify what's going on in the situation, what could be the, the best course of action, and then start acting before I might have come with a complete uh, intellectual certainty over the situation is exactly what you need to do in the entrepreneurial world, where you always want to do more research. You always want to do more learning about your customers' needs and about your technological capabilities. But at the same time, you just need to start acting. You need to put together partnerships with hospitals or device companies before your technology is completely mature. And uh, being able to anticipate where things are going and act based on partial information is also something that's core to being an entrepreneur. Um, I think that 
the the big difference is the stakes. So when I'm interacting with a patient, I have to be very cognizant of the the risks and the benefits and the impact that any recommendation I have is going to have on this this person in front of me. And with the business, you know, obviously this is still a healthcare device and we have to think seriously about the implications of our ultimate implementation of our technology. And, And this has very real, real world consequences as well. But nonetheless, at, especially in this era when we are still developing a technology and trying to create something new, ultimately it's a lot of upside where if we are able to create an effective technology, then that's going to be a win for society. But if we fail, then there's not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot that we've lost if we ultimately are never able to bring this technology to market or if um, it turns out we have to pivot, you know, we're trying to build something, but the, there's no one whose individual life is going to be, uh, you know, let down other than our own. If it turns out that we make a, a mistake and, and the company isn't able to, to move forward. And so I think that in some ways, the, having that contrast in my mind, knowing that when I'm in the hospital, the stakes are really life and death. But when I'm working on this company, the stakes are a little bit more abstract and uh, there's a little bit less pressure to make sure that uh, I don't make that type of mistake. It's actually a little bit freeing. I think that a lot of startup entrepreneurs uh, are highly burdened by the stress of being an entrepreneur. And while I'm not going to lie, entrepreneurship is stressful and I have my fair share of entrepreneurial stress as well. I think that I have less stress because it's just not as stressful as being in the emergency department and managing critically ill patients who, who might be dying before your eyes if you don't act right. So I think it, it takes some of the burden off in that sense. So would you encourage other medical professionals to think about entrepreneurship? I would encourage them to think about it, but I also think that they should really uh, only go this route if they are fully committed to uh, putting a lot of their heart and soul and, and time into uh, bringing something to fruition. You know, if they want to be that entrepreneur who's operational and who is uh, trying to to build something as a core team member it's a huge commitment and it's, it is a long-term commitment as well. That said, there are plenty of opportunities for healthcare professionals to contribute in smaller ways to healthcare startups. So there are a lot of healthcare startups where there is not a member of the team who is a healthcare professional themselves and where they would benefit from general guidance from someone who has better subject matter expertise about how their technology could be implemented and I think that if if someone just wants to be able to uh, contribute to that area uh, in a a more manageable way, there are a ton of opportunities and that's also an exciting opportunity. That's great advice, Josh. And I hope for the sakes of everybody who has maybe in the unfortunate circumstance of being in hospital and having to be hooked up to monitoring 
equipment that I hope that transformative AI succeeds so that healthcare outcomes improve tremendously. So thank you very much, Josh. Thanks so much, Conrad. You can listen to this show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, subscribe if you've not done so already. And if you've already subscribed, thank you so much. Just one favor, share this with someone you know who would benefit from listening. I'd love to hear from you regarding uh, the show, so please leave any comments that you have in the review section of your podcast player, and I'll get back to you in a future episode. Till next time, this is Conrad Chua on Changing Careers. <music>